I equate that their their strength, their influence, their capability, their capacity uh, that to that of a terrorist organization. That was Mark Morgan, former acting commissioner for the United States Customs and Border Protection. And this is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, February 8th. I'm Mary Margaret Olihan. And I'm Virginia Allen. The crisis on our southern border continues to get worse by the day. Failures from Washington to control illegal immigration are resulting in an influx of drugs and gang violence that make the country less safe. Mark Morgan is a Heritage Foundation visiting fellow. And today, Morgan talks with Doug Blair about how the Biden administration has prolonged this crisis and how we can get our southern border back on track. But before we get to Doug's conversation with Commissioner Mark Morgan, let's hit our top stories of the day. The trucker protest in Ottawa, Canada, known as the Freedom Convoy, is facing government opposition. The convoy began at the end of January to protest Canada's vaccine mandate for cross-border truckers. Hundreds of trucks and vehicles have joined the caravan to protest the vaccine mandate and other COVID-19 restrictions. But on Sunday, Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson declared a state of emergency because of the convoy, saying Ottawa is in the most serious emergency our city has ever faced. The Ottawa police issued a warning Monday that anyone found bringing fuel to the demonstration trucks in the red zone could be subject to arrest and charges. The police announced that they have already arrested seven people involved in the convoy and another 100 have been issued tickets. Fox News spoke with a number of the truckers in that convoy. Here's what one of the men had to say about why he's participating. We're not anti-vax, we're not anti-anything other than uh, anti-mandate, if you will. Um, That's what it's about. The message is freedom for every, every Canadian. The Freedom Convoy has attracted even more attention in recent days after the crowdfund platform GoFundMe shut down a fundraiser for the truckers. The truckers are now using the Christian platform GoSendMe to raise support for the convoy. As the country attempts to accept that living with COVID is the new normal, both New Jersey and Delaware have announced timelines to end school mask mandates. New Jersey's mask mandate for schools and child care centers ends on March 7th, the state's Republican Governor Phil Murphy announced on Monday. The governor cited declines in COVID cases and increased vaccinations, noting that Omicron has been found to be less severe than other variants, according to CNN. Masking continues to be an important tool to prevent the spread of COVID, said Murphy. Delaware Governor John Carney, a Democrat, also announced that the state's mask mandate will end February 11th, CNN reported. School mask mandates will end March 31st. We're in a much better place than we were several weeks ago in the middle of the Omicron surge of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations, Carney said. One mother who spoke out against school mask mandates in Virginia told the Daily Signal that children are being shamed and punished by the mandates. Here's what she had to say. My children have to sit six feet away from their peers. If they are doing a group project, they have to put on a face shield, which is a face covering. If they cannot sit six feet away, they have to have a plexiglass shield around their desk. So they are at story time or in library and they have to sit 
far away and cannot be with their friends, they cannot see the pictures in the books. They are being targeted, they are being bullied by their leaders, by their principals, by their superintendent, by their teachers. They're being shamed and punished. Podcaster Joe Rogan received a big offer on Monday. The podcast platform Rumble says they will pay Rogan $100 million over the course of four years if he moves the Joe Rogan Experience podcast from Spotify to Rumble. Spotify currently has an exclusive deal with Joe Rogan, but Spotify has come under fire recently for content on the podcast. Controversy over Rogan's podcast all began in January after he aired an interview with Dr. Robert Malone on COVID-19. The situation escalated again last week when a video surfaced of Rogan using racial slurs. He has apologized for his use of the N-word and pulled a number of episodes down from Spotify. But Rogan has clarified that he was quoting others when he used the racial slurs. But Rumble is offering Rogan the chance to leave Spotify altogether and join its pro-freedom of speech podcast platform. But Spotify still appears to want Rogan's podcast. Spotify CEO Daniel Ek said in a memo Sunday that while I strongly condemn what Joe has said and I agree with his decision to remove past episodes from our platform, I realize some will want more. And I want to make one point very clear. I do not believe that silencing Joe is the answer. It's unclear what Rogan plans to do, but the podcaster has not indicated that he has any plans to break his contract with Spotify. Now stay tuned for Doug's conversation with former Acting Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Mark Morgan as they discuss the crisis on our southern border. Never has it been more important for us to fight for America. Each day we see the penalties of progressive policies across our nation. Our elections are under assault, our economic freedom is on the decline, and our culture is turning its back on the founding principles that have made us the freest, most prosperous nation in history. That's why the Heritage Foundation developed a plan to take on the left and take back our country. The Citizen's Guide to Fight for America provides a series of Heritage-recommended action items delivered on a regular basis to your inbox. Make an impact in your community and in our country. Sign up for the Citizen's Guide at heritage.org slash citizensguide and join in the fight for America today. My guest today is Mark Morgan, acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection under President Trump and a Heritage Foundation visiting fellow. Commissioner, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Doug. So, Mark, let's begin with a status update on America's border what does it look like right now under President Biden? Is it good, bad? What are we saying? It, it is absolutely 100% the wild, wild west. Mm. And let me put it in perspective. President Biden inherited the most secure border in our lifetime. And with a stroke of a political pen from day one, he started to systematically dismantle it. And as each month in the past year has gone by, the border has become less secure and our country has become less safe because of this administration's, I believe, ideologic and politically driven open border policies. Mm. One of the things that really wanted me to have you on the show was you recently co-wrote a piece for The Daily Signal, and that piece was titled, Is Biden Complying with Court Order to Bring Back Remain in Mexico Policy? 
So first off, for our listeners who maybe aren't aware of what that is, what is the Remain in Mexico Yeah, policy? so Doug, this is very important. So you know, I often talk about the network of tools, authorities, and policies that President Trump gave us to, that really allowed the Border Patrol to do their job and secure the border and safeguard this country. One of the most significant authorities, tools that we had was was what we refer to as the Migrant Protection Protocol. Most mm-hmm. people know that as the Remain in Mexico program. Okay. What that did was is it closed one of the significant loopholes we had. It was based on a lower court judicial activist case, I believe, which says if you came to our borders an unaccompanied minor or a family, the government couldn't detain you. Mm-hmm. So that's what started what everybody knows as catch and release. I mean, if you came to our border with your family, that kid was like your automatic passport in the United States, uh, and they were released never to be heard from again. Uh, that was one of the biggest factors of the crisis we saw in 2019, that onslaught of families coming mainly from the Northern Triangle countries. Well, the Remain in Mexico closed that loophole mm. down. It, it put integrity back in the system. And by February of 2020, we saw a 75% reduction in illegal alien families come to our border because of that one program. It worked. It was effective. And the first day this administration ended the program. So we're seeing that as soon as those policies went out of the the window, the, the, the numbers went up again. That's exactly right. That was one of, of a series of things they did, but that was a significant one that really overnight is why we saw this onslaught of families once again come to our border, and they were allowed in never to be heard from again. But as you mentioned, uh, there, there was an incredible uh, court case, which I actually participated in. It was Texas and Missouri that sued the federal government, uh, and, and uh, they won. And so the court ordered the Biden administration to re-implement the, the Remain in Mexico program. Uh, I believe they have not done so in good faith. It's it's a joke what they're doing right now. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, further? sure. So look, again, let's go back to the whole purpose of the Remain in Mexico program was to stem the flow, was to close that loophole that was created that allowed families, you know, their passport in the United States. Mm-hmm. And again, it was mainly on families. So there's a couple of things going on right now. In, in December, let me give you the numbers. In December, under the new reinstituted Remain in Mexico program, they enrolled 267. Mm. Now, let's put that in perspective. How many apprehensions do we have in December? 178,000. <laughs> right, of course. Right, That's what everybody does. It's a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the bucket. It's a joke. Right. And then, guess what? They enrolled not a single family. Mm. I mean, the, the entire genesis behind the Remain in Mexico program was to actually close that loopholes that is presented to families. They didn't enroll a single family. Mm. And then the majority of families are coming from where? The Northern Triangle countries. So they only enrolled single adults where? From outside of the Northern Triangle countries. It's a joke. It's having absolutely no impact. I believe they're defying the court order. They're not acting in good faith. And and I, I hope that Texas and Missouri uh, still pushes this to hold them accountable. So let's follow up on this. How is the Biden administration justifying this? Because it seems very difficult for you to say we're complying with this order and then just not. Yeah, I mean, they're just simply saying uh, they're reporting back that what, what they're really using is Mexico, mm. right? So so think about this. They keep saying that Mexico is the problem. Mexico uh, has to approve this. Mexico is not accepting the people. I, I believe that's disingenuous at best, Doug. Look, w- one of the, the first things that this administration did, what we have is we had leverage. Look, let's remember what President Trump did. Remember a little thing called tariffs? Right. I mean, he used that to get leverage. He used that to get Mexico to step up, to really get some skin in the game and act as if this is the regional crisis that it is. And based on that, it wasn't a threat. It was a promise. Mm -hmm. President Trump would have done it. But what happened? 
Mexico stepped up. They started enforcing their southern border. They started increasing their interior enforcement. At one point, they had over 20,000 troops and law enforcement personnel in the interior attacking this issue. And what did the, what did the Biden administration do? They they absolutely jettisoned every bit of leverage they had. You have seen Mexico now. They they have they are not securing their southern border. Their interior enforcement has dramatically decreased because they know that this administration is weak, and they know they're the ones actually encouraging this. So there are almost external consequences to this as well. If Mexico is now taking matters into their own hands and they're just saying we're not going to enforce it either, why would we do that if America wasn't doing it? That's exactly. In fact, the president has said something very similar to that. And I, I got to agree with him. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It is it is the current uh, 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 America's administration right now that is actually encouraging, incentivizing, and facilitating the mm-hmm. flow of illegal immigration. Why should we step in the way now when it's the United States that's actually facilitating it? I think he's right. Absolutely. So I wanted to mention, you, you talked about two states that maybe are going to take action against the Biden administration. Could you go yep. into that a little further? Yeah. So, so it, it's tech on this specific incident, it's Texas and uh, um, and Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, my, my, my home state, um, that, that got involved and joined together and they won this. And and the, the judge really was on the, the uh, procedural act. They said mm-hmm. that they actually didn't end the program um, within the procedural act. But it was more than that because the judge also really went after Secretary Mayorkas' jugular, as I call it, because he really said that the, the secretary failed to consider uh, uh, several factors that showed that the Remain in Mexico program was effective, that it actually stemmed the flow. And he accused the secretary of not considering uh, other initiatives that should be taken to actually address the fraudulent asylum claims that, again, the Remain in Mexico program did and, and mm-hmm. helped reduce that fraud. But here's what's more important, besides just substantively making this, this administration uh, reinstitute Remain in Mexico program, is that Missouri was involved. Mm. And why is that important? Because for the, one of the first times it showed, and the judge recognized this, that what happens on our southwest border doesn't stay there. Mm. It's why I've been saying it, it's equally as important that Missouri was involved as, as the substance of the win, because it shows that every city town in this country is a border town city and state. Is so that what happens on the southwest border doesn't stay there. It goes out to the entire, every single state in this country. Mm. So as a result of that lawsuit, what happens now? Where does the Biden administration go? Look, they're they're continue to argue that they are uh, pushing the program in good faith. Um, as I stated, I, I disagree with that. So mm-hmm. now it is Texas and Missouri going back, holding their feet to the fire, and trying to show the court why they believe that they not they are not complying in good faith with the court order and and hold people accountable and force them to actually implement this. Uh, right now, I mean, I believe they're only they're only implementing it in one sector, maybe two of the nine sectors mm. uh, along the entire two thousand miles. And like you said, two hundred sixty people in a month out of 178,000 apprehension. It's a joke. So you mentioned Secretary Mayorkas. How would you rate his performance so far? Is there anything worse than an F? (laughs) 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 Hey, keep in mind, here's which is absolutely absurd. And the listeners, I really encourage them. It shouldn't take them long. You know, research one of his his, uh, uh, congressional testimony where he was asked to grade himself. I know, wait for it. This would be shocker. He gave himself an A. Oh, my. Right? I mean, we, we, we are experiencing the worst catastrophic crisis on our southwest border that is literally killing Americans. 
right? And our border, it literally is the wild, wild west. Mm. And this secretary gives himself an A. It's it's just absolutely absurd. Now, one of the things that I've noticed about Secretary Mayorkas is he seemingly stood behind Border Patrol. There's an incident I really want to talk about, which was the Haitian migrants incident, where there was an accusation that Border Patrol agents were whipping Haitian migrants with their reins for the horses, lie. Uh, which was proven later yep. to be a lie. And and initially he he stood behind them and said that this was something that you know they wouldn't do, but then quickly bowed to the left and said, "Well, they probably did. We're going to launch an investigation." How does that affect morale with border patrol agents when your secretary is telling you you're racist and you're whipping Haitian migrants? Yeah, Doug. So look, you, you hit on a couple of very important things here, especially in the very beginning, because you're right. He was he was saying what you would expect. By the way, a former prosecutor, mm. right? This man knows, right, that you're supposed to let the investigation unfold. You're not supposed to come up with preconceived notions or make preliminary statements. You're supposed to let the investigation unfold. And when he was down there, by the way, in front of the troops still, Mm. that's what he said. In less than, I think it was 16 hours, he returned to D.C. and it completely changed, Mm. right? So he got to his handlers, just like president. the president has his handlers, and it completely changed. He turned into the judge, jury, and executioner all in one, and he was a former prosecutor. He knows better. Shame Mm. on him. He vilified the agents. He scapegoated them. He ruined their reputation and their career. And then he facilitated, and what he should have done as the secretary, cabinet-level official, he should have gone to the White House and said, whoa, 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 time out. Time out, Mr. Mm -hmm. President. Don't don't do this. Don't go out and, and vilify them. Because the facts aren't there. And right now, the facts are suggesting there was no whipping. Right. Right. But yet he allowed the president of the United States to get out there and use the bully pippa to also chastise and vilify these agents. Look, I, I, w- I was the commissioner of CBP, not a cabinet level official, but it's pretty high up there. And I got to tell you, if that would have happened, I would have been getting my way to the White House mm. to tell them, do not let the president vilify these agents. One, it's not the right thing to do, regardless of the circumstances, let the investigation pan out. But it was, in fact, not true. And here's another thing I'll say. It's not just Secretary Mayorkas. Where was the border patrol chief? Mm. Chief Ortiz. Mm. Where is he? 31 years serving this country in the border patrol, where was he to stand up to support them, to be the relentless advocate of the men and women that, that he is supposed to oversee? I He remained silent. Mm-hmm. I don't care what his justification or rationale was. That was wrong. And so not only was this really the beginning, in addition to all the policies they removed, that the workforce started to lose respect and trust and confidence in the secretary, but also their chief. What I'm gathering from this conversation so far is that there seems to be a pretty massive difference between how the former Trump administration handled matters of immigration and border security versus how the Biden administration is handling matters of border security and our immigration system. Where would you say that that is the most pronounced? Yeah. So, uh, again, I think there's something very important that you said in there. Um, you, you, you've clearly done your homework and you understand this issue. You said border security. Mm. Border security. That's what this is about, Doug. It's not about illegal immigration only. Illegal immigration is just a subset of the vast, complex threat, a set of threats that we face from outside of borders. This is about border security first. Mm-hmm. Look, President Trump understood that this is about border security. He, he subscribed the, the Ronald Reagan concept, right, that a country that cannot secure its borders is not a country at all. Mm-hmm. If you look back from 1986 forward, every time there was discussion politically about amnesty, law enforcement officer, I can't support that. I can, I can never support rewarding someone who broke the law. But understand there's got to be some political discussions about that. But what was always in the forefront before amnesty was border security. 
right? The 1986 bill that talked about amnesty, the first thing they talked about was border security. Now, neither was done very well. But ever since then, there was always, whenever you had this other talk about amnesty and, and, and other immigration reform, it was always first and foremost about border security. We are now in a position, this is the first time in our lifetime, it is so radical, so progressive, they are talking about open borders and amnesty without one word mm. discussion about border security. The, 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 the mass amnesty that they try to ram, jam through, right, the, the, through the reconciliation process, which I believe was unconstitutional outside the parameters and policy, uh, three attempts they took at trying to get mass amnesty, not one discussion about border security. Right. So that was the, the biggest difference is we understood the importance of border security. We understood that what happens at the southwest border impacted every town, city, and state. And so we were taking policies, initiatives, and tools to secure the border to protect this country. I'll give an example. Look, when you, when you take uh, and you facilitate and drive two million apprehensions in a 12-month period, you're pulling Border Patrol resources off the front line, off their national security mission. That leaves our border wide open, mm-hmm. unmonitored, unpatrolled, unsecured. Gang members are pouring in, drugs are pouring in, criminal aliens are pouring in, and we have an exponential increase to a national security threat, not only the threat to the migrants themselves. In the last 12 months, over 600 migrants died trying to cross the border. Thousands of them had to be rescued. Uh, sexual assaults increased, human trafficking increases. Look, the worst thing that you can do, both the United States and the migrants themselves, is to have open border policies that this administration is pushing right now. Now, you, you focused very heavily on border security, but there's something else that was so impactful about what you just said, which is the actual security of the people involved in the process, both the migrants yep. and the Americans on the other side of the border. So, uh, Mark, I'd love to talk to you about drugs and how drugs at the southern border is becoming such a horrible issue. So I want to read you a quote. There was enough fentanyl seized in Texas last year, according to Governor Greg Abbott, to kill 222 million Americans and that Biden does not care. That is, again, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Would you agree with that sentiment? Or? 100%. And, and here's, here's why I draw the same conclusion, that he doesn't care. He cares more, right, about pursuing and satisfying the, the radical open border ideologues and his political party than what's in the best interest of this country. And why, how can I draw that conclusion, Doug? Let me, let me give you just one fact. One fact. 100,000 drug overdoses in this country in a 12-month period. 100,000. Let that soak soak in. That that is more than the deaths of the Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq wars combined. And those wars lasted decades. Think about that. And we know that the vast majority of drugs that are coming in, poisoning our kids, killing 100,000 people, come from the southwest border. I promise you, if you have a meth overdose, you pick the city, you pick the state. That meth, more than likely, came from the southwest border. Fentanyl. Look, we, we know that it takes a very little amount. We know that it's being produced in Mexico, that they're, that they're putting fentanyl and other synthetic drugs. And we know that, that look, all, all these people that died from drug overdoses, they're not bad people. They're not druggies. Mm. They're, they're not these bad people that some people associate with them. Hey, look, I talked to an angel family. You know, her daughter, 15 years old, went to a party. She was she was kind of depressed and down, like, like a lot of 15-year-olds can be, right? right? Yeah. And she was offered what she thought was Percocet, mm. right? Well, guess what? It was laced with fentanyl. First mm-hmm. time she ever taken a pill, she died. That's what's happening. So shouldn't this be an American thing to secure our borders? How did this become a right or left thing to secure our borders, to stop drugs from pouring in this country, right? 
Every single day, drugs are pouring in this country and making their way to every town, city, and state. I'll, gi- I'll give you a quick example. So so just last week, uh, about 13 governors, A.G. Paxton of Texas invited about 13 uh, uh, attorney generals from all over, including interior states. And there's one from Oklahoma. And he said, I, I didn't realize. My eyes were open about how the drugs pour across and then it's so well organized that it hits I-35 or I-40 and makes their way to Oklahoma, of which the cartels had divided the entire state of Oklahoma up into regions to distribute distribute their drugs. Mm. Is it shouldn't we all be against that? I just don't I just don't get this administration. So what it sounds like is that there's a, a rather robust operation that is coming from the South and moving drugs into America. Is this like worse than we've seen in previous years? Is this increased due to this administration's lax policies? A- absolutely. Look, it, it's a it's a multi-million dollar business per day. And, and, and look, I, I equate the, uh, what's happening right now, Southwest border, as an invasion. Mm. And it's an invasion that is being driven by what the cartels, which I refer to as, as, as a shadow government. I, I equate that their, their strength, their influence, their capability, their capacity uh, that, to that of a terrorist organization. Look, ISIS has nothing on the cartels. Um, and, you know, they're just driven rather than by ideology to do harm to the United States. They're driven by profit mm. that's doing harm to the United States. But there's no difference to them at the end of the day with respect to the orchestrated, systematic, uh, hostile encroachment uh, that's causing harm to our country every single day. You spoke a little bit about this, but on a personal anecdote, I come from Portland, Oregon, which has an awful, awful, awful problem with drugs. Um, it's also practically legal there, which is neither I was going to say they there. also have an awful, awful problem with their leadership Yes, there, that right? absolutely and 100% policies, agree with right. you. <laughs> but um, And I have friends who are from the Rust Belt who are going through these horrible, horrible problems with opioids. Does this influx of narcotics coming from the South impact that at all? Absolutely. Every single day. Look, the, the, you, you'll see it with prices, right? When you flood, prices will go down, right? Um, but again, I go back to the, how it's structured. So uh, put it simplistically, and I am oversimplifying, but the, the drugs come across. Uh, and then the, the, the entities that are the distribution mechanism of the cartels are the gangs, mm. Right. I mean, this is a very, you know, at times it may not be as structured as one would think, but there is structure. There's a system of payment that goes all the way from the cartels all the way down to the local drug dealer on the corner within your city and streets. So I guarantee you, if you're seeing a drug problem increase in your city, it's because of it's coming across the southwest border and the border is less secure. Now, security also plays into safety. So I want to talk about how this problem on the southern border impacts the safety of Americans. What what would you have to say about yeah. that? Another great question, Doug. Look, I always say what's happening in the southwest border impacts every aspect of our public health, safety, and national security, right? And so you know, we, we, we've been talking about the drugs. So let's now talk about the next issue. Again, when, when you pull border patrol agents off the line to have to process 2 million apprehensions mm. in 12 months, Think about that. Um, there are areas along the border where there are times not a single agent on the front line, not a single agent, mm-hmm. because they're pulled off to process 2 million illegal aliens. Well, what do you think the cartels do? First of all, they do it on purpose. Mm. So they'll, 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 they'll put a bunch of kids and families in a stash house, and then they'll wait. I, I saw it this weekend with my own eyes. I was in McAllen, Texas, and you saw it. So they flood one area with a bunch of rafts and a bunch of migrants. Of course, what's going to have to happen? All the border trade is going to have to go there to process them. Mm. And what do you think they do? 
Oh, well, right or left, it's wide open. Mm. What do you think's happening? That's where the drugs are coming across, we talk. But guess what else is also coming across? Gang members mm. and criminal aliens. Look, in the safe 12-month period, 600,000 gotaways. Mm. Gotaways are those that have broken into our country and evaded apprehension. Why? Because the Border Patrol agents are the line, because they're processing family and kids. 600,000. That's equivalent to the same ent- entire size of the state of Vermont. Think about that. The entire state of Vermont mm-hmm. broke into our country and got away because our borders are wide open. And guess what? There are really, really bad people among them. And this is where I get called a racist. And and I tell you, I, every time I do, I, I just get stronger because mm-hmm. I know the truth and it's it's the reality. I've never said they're all bad, but there's an exorbitant amount of that are. Why are they running and try to evade? I'll mm-hmm. give you another stat. The Border Patrol, uh, in the same 12-month period, uh, apprehended 18,000 criminals. That's what they apprehended, mm. and, 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 and gang members. So think about that 600,000. Think about how many criminals got away. Mm. Think about how many gang members got away. I mean, and there are murderers and rapists and pedophiles and aggravated felons. The list goes on and on. So, of course, this aspects every aspect of our public safety because these individuals, they're not staying on the southwest border. They're getting, they're, they're getting on the highways and they're being smuggled into every city, town, and, and state in this country. There's a direct correlation. Absolutely. And on that note, you, you mentioned murders. A, a Houston cop was shot. Yep. Charles Galloway was shot in Houston. Uh, and his, his murderer was an illegal immigrant with a rap sheet almost a mile long. Is Absolutely. that sort of an example of what you're talking about? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So think about that. And he was a gotaway, right? He, w- he would be one of those 600,000. Now, look, I don't know when he came in, when he got away. I can tell the difference was in the Trump administration, we were trying to stop it. Mm. And this administration is actually facilitating it. I, I mean, 600,000 is the largest number of gotaways that, that I think since it's it's been recorded. But yet, you, I mean, Doug, when's the last time you heard Jen Psaki or the DHS secretary of the president mentioned the number of gotaways and that there are criminals among them. In fact, when the secretaries ask about that, like how many criminals, he, he doesn't know. He can't even answer. Right. I mean, how, how pathetic and absurd is that? I mean, to me, again, they're intentionally lying to the American people. There's two things I want to mention there. Actually, one of the things about the the illegal system is that there are people that are known to be illegals that cannot be deported. So, for example, use another news story that happened recently in the nation's capital. Uh, we had a rash of swastikas that were drawn on Union Station. It was discovered that the culprit had been deported twice, yep. but was ineligible to be deported under, under the current yep. structure of deportation. How does that happen? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's another. Group. So what we've all been what we've been talking about so far is really what's happening like on the physical border and the policies impacting the border patrol to be able to do their job. Now let's shift to the interior because this is what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. So again, spot on because there's two things happening. We, we've created a a welcoming center on the front end and we've created a sanctuary country on the back end with DHS Secretary Mayorkas, which by the way is a colossal failure, and he's abdicated all his responsibility to it with respect to his oath to safeguard this country. I mean, he really is the the DHS Secretary of homeland insecurity, right, mm. um, is that through his 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 policies, he has basically abolished ICE mm. with, with, without physically abolishing ICE. He has, he has taken away 90% of their interior enforcement uh, authority. And what you just represented is one of, of just countless cases happening every, every day. I could give you another one. An illegal alien that was here uh, got drunk, uh, killed a, a young woman because he was drunk. He serves his time. He's done with his time. Sheriff's Department calls ICE. It says, hey, I got this illegal alien that killed somebody, service time is done. And they said, you know, uh, not a priority, according to the secretary. So they released him back in the city. And what 
I was almost going to say a bad word. And what planet right, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. Right. It does it. And right now, if you look at ICE historically, 90 percent of those that ICE arrest in the interior actually, besides being here illegally, Doug, they also have either an additional criminal conviction or have been charged. Let that soak in. 90 percent. Well, before Secretary Mayorkas becomes secretary, 90 percent of those that ICE arrest here illegally already have another criminal conviction or arrest. Mm. And this secretary has reduced 90% of ICE's interior enforcement. So let's follow the bouncing ball. Don't have to be a rocket scientist. That means there is a whole bunch of criminals walking our streets right now because of this secretary and this administration. It's just a fact. It's another reason. Have you seen the ICE deportation report? I was just about to ask you about right, that. So. Right. Look, I talked to Tom Holm, another praiser, right? So he was the ICE director. He said normally, and he was involved in countless reports. You, look, and I know you, you get all the data you, you, you need by the end of October, right? Mm-hmm. And generally, that report was released in November at, at, the, at the latest December. We still don't have it. I'm getting word right now it's because they've completely reworked it to spin it. Uh, so it's going to try to to put as much lipstick on the pig as, as, as they can. But at the end of the day, that report's still going to be a pig. And I guarantee you, we're going to be reviewing that, and we're going to make sure American people hear the truth. Now, for those of uh, our listeners who maybe aren't aware of what that is, ICE generally releases a report at the end of the year detailing sort of the statistics about yep. what it, it, how many arrests, how many deportations, yada, yada, yada. This still has not been released as, as of the recording of this podcast. And yep. you're mentioning it's because they're trying to Spin it. Absolutely, because there's no doubt uh, that the information I'm getting, it's going to show the lowest number of, of we're talking about interior enforcement arrests that, that ICE has done. And again, all, that, simply put, that just means there are more criminals because, again, this is very important because American people are being lied to. 90 percent under under any administration, Republican, Democrat, 90 percent of who ICE arrested in interior have a criminal conviction or have been criminally charged. And now that has been dramatically reduced, which just equates that means more criminals are walking our streets. That's what the report is going to show. They're trying to twist it and manipulate it so it doesn't look as bad as it actually is. Now, Mark, we need to wrap up, but we've discussed all of these various issues that come as a result of a weak southern border policy. What is the solution? How do we fix this? How do we get back on track? So, so two things. One, uh, 2022 matters. We need to get individuals, you know, up on the hill that understand the importance of border security. That it really is about our our nation's uh, uh, public health, safety, and security. We haven't even talked about COVID and the ridiculous hypocrisy that they're allowing COVID positive immigrants in without being tested or vaccine mandates. Um, so, we need strong. Strong members of Congress that, that that understand border security first and foremost. But hey, look, at the end of the day, we can't wait for them. We can't. They they don't take office till 2023. You know, nothing in Congress moves fast. We need them to pass meaningful legislation to fix that loophole that I was telling you that that the Remain in Mexico program mm. uh, uh, caused to reduce the authority of a secretary to basically abolish ICE without congressional oversight or approval. Uh, there, there's so many things that 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 Congress needs to do to pass meaningful legislation. But here's another thing I would say, real quick, is that let's not wait till then. Mm. You need to get out there, talk to your state legislator, talk to your state AGs, talk to your governors, demand that they do more, like Governor Abbott in Texas, Governor DeSantis in Florida, a few other governors, uh, uh, Governor, I mean, AG Paxson of Texas. Texas has done more than any other state in this nation. We need more states to do more. Citizens need to demand that their states, regardless if they're on the border interior, step up to do more to help secure our border and fill the gap that's been left by this administration. 
That was Mark Morgan, acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection under President Trump and Heritage Foundation visiting fellow. Mark, very much appreciate your time. You bet. Thanks, Doug. And that'll do for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And as always, please encourage others to subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.